We just sang about Christ bearing all the weight of our sin and trampling over death by his death. But what are we talking about? And what does any of that have to do with Easter and the resurrection? Well, to understand it rightly, we actually have to take a few steps back from the empty tomb and into those final hours leading up to it. And when you do, it gets very dark because you find Jesus on his Knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, a place he'd prayed many times before, but never like this. Because now he was agonizing in prayer just hours before his final arrest and brutal crucifixion on the cross. In fact, the Bible tells us that his prayers were so intense that he actually sweat great drops of blood because of the emotional strain and the pressure he was under knowing what was coming next. You see, in that moment on his knees, he was crying out to his father because he knew that the crushing weight of all our sins was about to be placed on him as the only perfect substitute. So that instead of us, he would experience the separation from God and the wrath of God poured out on him For our sins. Jesus. The only perfect man who ever lived. Who never sinned. In thought. Or word. Or deed. And had only known up to this point. Had only known. The love. And favor. Of his father. Was about to be. Come sin for us. So that we might be forgiven, made clean, and accepted by a holy God. So it's understandable that Jesus wrestled with fear. And the humanity of his own flesh, because don't lose sight of the fact he was fully God. Yes, yes. And fully human. So in his humanity, just like any of ours would have, in his humanity, he wanted to recoil from and draw back from and run from and push away from the horror. Of tasting and experiencing something he'd never, ever known before. The ugliness and weight of sin 
and the terrifying wrath of God. Listen to how Luke describes it for us in Luke chapter 23. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. And the scriptures tell us three times, three times he agonized this way. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And being in agony, he prayed all the more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. What is this cup? What is this cup that he's begging his father to take away from him? It's the cup of God's wrath that he was about to drink for us. And the very thought of it was horrifying to him. Yet, yet, he knew that this was the very reason for which he'd taken on flesh and come into our world. Not just to heal people physically. Not just to feed the hungry. Not just to bring justice to the oppressed. No. No. His ultimate mission and purpose from the very beginning before time began all along. Was to solve our biggest problem. Which is not a social, economic, financial or political problem at all. Those are just symptoms of a much bigger problem. The sin problem that we all, everyone in this room, as human beings, share together. That would condemn every one of us to hell and leave us separated from God forever. And so as Jesus stared into the face of this horrible hour that was upon him and began to smell something he'd never smelled before, as he began to smell the foul stench of all of our sins, all of them moving towards him, reaching out for him, laying hold of him, crawling all over him, getting down inside of him. And at the same time, as he began to sense the heat of God's fiery, almighty wrath, he said in John chapter 12, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus stepped under and into the wrath of God for us. And took it wave after wave after fiery wave exploding against 
him in our place and felt the horror of every heinous sin so that we would never have to taste it but could be forgiven, made clean and adopted into God's family as his sons and daughters forever. Oh, yes. If you're here and you've experienced new life in Christ because of his death and resurrection, then I know you praise his name like I do. But I also know in a crowd this size, there are some of you here today that you've not yet decided what you think about Jesus and the resurrection. And I'm so glad you're here. Or you're here because someone invited you. Someone you respect and love and, and, ha- and care about and you said yes. But you've already decided none of this is true. Whoever you are and wherever you are today, I am so glad you're here. And I count you as a friend and I respect whatever decision you've made about Jesus and the resurrection. But here's what I'd like to do. I just want to remind you how important this decision is. This is not like any other. And how much this decision impacts not only this life, but the life to come. And so to do that, I want to start with a true story that I hope will push some of you to take another look. Take a fresh look at what you've decided about Jesus and the resurrection. Particularly, I want you to reconsider whether or not you were careful enough and thoughtful enough in the way you went about making that decision. On New Year's Day in 1962, a group of scruffy, long-haired guys with guitars made a demo tape. And they gave it to Dick Rowe, a producer at Decca Records. Decca Records listened to it and rejected it. Telling this group of guys, quote, guitar bands are on the way out. Decca, Decca made a decision that this group of guys were outdated and irrelevant from the 1960s. But they didn't give up. They pitched that same demo tape to another man, George Martin, who was a producer with EMI Records. And George Martin reacted very differently the moment he listened to this demo tape by this group of guys who called themselves the Beatles. Yeah. The moment George Martin heard this, he signed them up. And within two years, John, Paul, George, and Ringo had hits at the top of the charts in both UK and America. In fact, Beatlemania swept the world. And George Martin found himself at the center of one of the biggest music stories ever with one billion, that's with a B, billion Beatles Records having now been sold worldwide. Decca made a very bad decision. Would you not agree? George Martin, really good one. Now stay with me. Because here's where I want to connect some dots for you. 
the decision that Decca made to reject the Beatles. Not only was it egg on the face and very embarrassing, but it cost them millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. But we could stay here for the next hour telling business stories. That's not the only one like that. Business stories where someone made a critical decision that was wrong and it cost more than anyone else could imagine in terms of dollars. But when the dust settles on all the business stories, it's still almost always a cost that's in terms of dollars. Keep tracking with me. The decision you make regarding Jesus and the resurrection is in a different category altogether. Because the consequences of what you decide about the person and work of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection have to do with your soul and eternity, which are priceless. Priceless. So let me frame it up for you in as simple a way as I can to get you to think or rethink perhaps the decision that each one of you has to make. And it's your decision and you have to make it. The decision you have to make regarding Jesus and the resurrection. Here's how I want to frame it up for you. I want to talk to you in the time that remains about one day, various reactions to it and two very different outcomes. One day, different reactions Two very different outcomes. Let's start with the day and some of those reactions to it. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Just kick back and listen to God's word. But I would say this to you. Listen. When I read some Bible passages today, and this is not the only one I'm going to read, don't tune out and check back in when Brad Bigney starts to talk. When we read God's word, stay with it. His word is more powerful than my word. So even if you don't have a Bible, listen to God's word, please. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. 
When they assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. One day, but two very different reactions to it. Did you see the first reaction with the women? Those first women at the tomb rejoiced when they heard and saw that Jesus was alive. And they made a decision to worship him and tell others about it. The Gospel of Mark tells us that they were going to the tomb that first Easter morning carrying spices with the intention of further embalming his dead body. But they found the stone had been rolled away. And for the first time ever, imagine this, first time ever, they heard the greatest announcement that has ever been made. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Oh, what life-changing words and what a fulfillment of all the prophecies that had ever been spoken pointing to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen again how Matthew describes the, the response of the women in verse 8 and 9. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. I know that's where so many of you are here today. It stirs you. You get it. You get it. You know that he's not dead, that he's alive, and you love him. You hold on to him. You worship him. You follow him. You tell others about him. It's real. But did you notice there's another group of people? that saw the very same thing, but reacted very differently. It's the Roman soldiers and the religious leaders of that day. They made a decision to try and cover it up, to deny it, even in the face of evidence they'd seen and knew to be true. What is going on with that? What is that about? Well, get this. This is not a case of people who have doubts. And need more information. Those people do exist. But it's not them. It's not a case of people who have doubts and need more information. Listen to me. This is a case of people who are troubled by the very information they do have. And they wish it wasn't true. Because they understood the gravity. Of the resurrection of Jesus Christ And everything that would be impacted by the truth of his resurrection. So they made a decision to deny it and to cover it up. Even in the face of what they'd seen for themselves. Guess what? That's still going on today. And perhaps, perhaps, it's where some of you are here today. If you were to be honest in your most quiet moments. If you were to be honest 
you don't want it to be true. You wish it wasn't. You hope it's not. And it's funny how often what you want to believe becomes what you say you believe if you hold on to it long enough. What you want to be true, what you wish was true, becomes what you say you believe if you hold on to it long enough. Listen, every person who chooses not to believe in Jesus and the resurrection does not do it for lack of evidence. Often the refusal is in spite of evidence and is driven by the realization deep down inside, if this is true, it changes everything. If this is true, it changes everything. I have to rethink life itself and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Because if Jesus conquered death, then he is Lord. And if he is Lord, then I'm accountable to him. And I don't want life to be that way. That's how the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 28 felt. That's it right there. They, they knew. They said, this is going to rock our religious world. Turn it upside down. This is going to shatter all of our comfortable and fixed categories of what we already understand and the system We already understand how it all works. Oh, don't mess with that. And we're going to be displaced. We're going to be displaced from our traditions and positions of authority. And we can't have that. So let's just say it never happened and convince others to do the same. Even if we have to turn away from evidence. Let me show you some other reactions to this one day. These aren't the only ones in Matthew 28. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. And I think some of you might find yourself in Acts 17. Acts chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. Now get this. Acts 17. The gospels give us the life and death and and words and sermons of Jesus. Acts is the first book that tells us Jesus has died. He rose again, he went back to heaven, and this is just the early infancy of Christianity. The very first people to ever be called Christians are being given to us and talked about in this book of Acts. It's the historical account of the beginning of Christianity. So this is a new deal. This is a new message. Acts chapter 17, beginning of verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens. Now look at me, let me put it in context for you. Paul being in Athens and standing on the hill at the Areopagus is the equivalent today of New York City, Times Square. This was the city. This was the place, just like New York City and Times Square is it for us, where whatever is cutting edge, new, exciting, ideologies, thoughts, avant-garde, this is it, Athens, Areopagus. Now go with me. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Let's cover all our bases. Let's just make one to that. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world, everything in it, Since he's Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything from us, since he gives to all life 
and breath and all things. And he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, quote, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man. He's talking about Jesus. By the man whom he has ordained. He's given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some mocked. While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from them. However, some men joined with him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And here's the first thing I want you to notice from this passage. Did you see how when Paul introduced the subject of Jesus and the resurrection from the dead... I turned this conversation, it took it to a whole new level. This was no longer a fireside chat. Just batting around some ideas, a warm exchange of ideas. Oh no. No. Took it to a whole new level when he mentioned the resurrection. It was like throwing gasoline on a fire. And that's because, listen to me, the resurrection... Of Jesus was never meant to be some philosophical idea that we toy with or we discuss in some unfeeling, detached way. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And I want you to notice how many different reactions we see in this one passage. Because I do believe it's a snapshot. It's a snapshot of what's happening today. Still, we're just like them. Nothing's changed. Listen, surely you've, you've experienced this, whether on campus or in your neighborhood or at work. You can splash around on the fringes of religion. People are very religious still. Just keep it generic. Keep it innocuous. You can splash around on the fringes of religion and you can talk about spirituality all day in vague general terms. But the moment you speak of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, you better buckle up. Because it will elicit a strong response one way or another. Always has, always will. That's the nature of a resurrection. You see, a thinking person has to recognize if the wheels are turning and the gears are moving at all, 
that a discussion of the resurrection from the dead, there's no place for simple disinterest and detachment because the implications and consequences of what you decide about the resurrection of Jesus has to do with life and death issues starting in this world and carrying on over into the next. So if you say you believe, then you join with others. Like we saw there in Acts 17 at the end. You join with others. Rejoicing and following and telling other people. But you also might, get this, you also might launch out of your seat and mock and rail against the resurrection with venom. And listen, while I disagree with your conclusion, I respect, I do, I respect the serious and strong response to the historical claims of Jesus and the resurrection. That's appropriate. This matters. There are big things at stake. Or some of you might, you might be a part of that crowd that was also mentioned. And you would say, I got to think about this more. You have my attention. You've got my attention now. I've got questions. I've got a lot of doubts. But this is worth thinking about. I need to examine this further. I need to investigate this. I need to be careful and serious about how I make my decision of what I think about Jesus and the resurrection. One day, many different reactions to it. And now I want to show you two very different outcomes that are based on, listen, two very different outcomes that are based on what you decide about Jesus and the resurrection. And to show you these two outcomes, I'm going to read a verse that I think is probably the most well-known, popular verse in all the Bible. Go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and I'm going to read John 3, 16, which even in our day, right? Even in the day we live, here's a verse that gets airtime, primetime, TV, when the most important sport is happening, NFL. It's that person in the end zone, in the stands that holds up the sign as they kick the extra point or the field goal. John 3.16. Now, many people have no idea what it says, but it still gets out there. John 3.16. But here's what I'm going to do that I find almost no one has ever done. I'm going to keep reading beyond John 3.16 because he tells us, Two very different outcomes that are based on what you decide about Jesus and John 3.16 and this free offer. John 3, beginning in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Skip to verse 36. He who believes in the Son 
has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But it gets worse. But the wrath of God abides on him. The most, this is what's sobering to me, and please know, please know, I take no joy in reading a verse like that to you. I take no joy in bringing into your Easter festive springtime news like this. But I have to be faithful to all that the Bible teaches. One of the most well-known verses in all the Bible is followed by a verse that almost no one is aware of or talks about. Yet they will, every one of you will experience verse 36. You will, you're in that verse. There are only two categories. He who believes in the Son has life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, here's the deal, folks. You can either believe in Jesus, put your trust in Jesus, hold on to Jesus and worship Jesus like the women at the tomb because he took the wrath of God for you and drank it dry or you will experience the wrath of God yourself. John 3.16 is not a verse. It's like, oh, well, whatever. The implications of this are huge. These two outcomes are determined by what you decide about John 3.16. Will you believe? Will you receive? Will you accept the free gift of everlasting life? It goes out today to every person, every person without exception. But you must believe. One day, some very different reactions to it. Two very different outcomes. Life or death, condemnation or forgiveness, the love of God or the wrath of God. So how do you know which category you're in? Folks, there's some hard places in the Bible that I'll spend the rest of my life trying to ask God to help me understand this is not one of them. It's very clear, is it not? He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. Well, listen to me. Every one of you and me included, are in the same position those two record companies were in, making a critical decision. But this has to do with something so much greater than dollars and fame and all it could buy you. And you've got to see yourself in the crowd somewhere reacting to the resurrection. You're in the crowd, my friends. Because we're no different than they were. So where are you today? 
are yet. Are you with the women at the tomb? Rejoicing, worshiping him, holding on to him, loving him, following him, telling others about him? Are you mocking and railing against the resurrection and even trying to cover it up and deny it and turning away from what evidence you do see? Or maybe you'd say, for the first time, Brad, you got me in a new category. I realize, you know what? This is worth thinking about. I haven't been careful enough and thoughtful enough about this. You've got my attention. I've got questions. I've got a lot of doubts. But I am going to investigate this further. Listen to me. Christianity and the resurrection can stand up under scrutiny. Bring it. Read. Study. Investigate. Pray. Because the decision you make about Jesus and the resurrection has implications for this life and the life to come. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a quiet moment. Bow your heads right now to think about what you've heard and the decision that you have to make. Oh, come to Christ. Believe that He is the Son of God and that He died the only perfect death in your place as payment for your sins and that when He rose from the dead, He conquered sin and Satan and death and hell for you. Put your trust in Christ today. And believe that he did for you what you could never do for yourself. You could never be good enough. You could never keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, but he did. You could never earn God's favor. But Christ did it for you by his death and resurrection. If you're here today and you would say, I'm ready to become a Christian today, now. Oh, wonderful. You don't have to shake my hand. You don't have to get out of your seat. You don't have to fill out a card. You don't have to pray out loud right now. I invite you to pray after me. God sees your heart. Just pray this simple prayer. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. Deserving condemnation and hell and the experience of your wrath poured out on me for my sins. But I believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is who he said he is and that he did what the scriptures testify he did in taking my punishment and paying the price. I believe. I put my hope in him. I put my trust in him. I receive Jesus into my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now look at me a minute. Because here's what was happening all over this room. For some of you, there was an internal raging war during these last few moments. And here's what was going on. These thoughts were darting in saying, you can't just do this. It can't be this easy. Do you know how bad you are? All the things you've done. There's no way. You're going to have to make some changes first. You're going to have to clean yourself up first. You're going to have to whatever it is first. Those are all lies. All lies. Listen to me. The change and the cleaning up and the rearranging happens on the other side of believing. Come as you are. He will not turn you away. Come as you are. He'll accept you as 
you are because he died for you as you are.